This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 942, Comic Talk. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 942. Is our Comic Talk episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm joined by two co-hosts who are trying to laugh at me as much as possible. I got Paul Scores and Nathan Struck on the line. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. Hey, when do I get to like actually determine things that happen on this podcast? So I'm a co-host, <laughs> and I'm like... What are we talking about today? And you go, wait and see. Am I a host or am I like a victim or a prisoner of some kind? What am I? More of a, uh, more of a victim, I guess. More, maybe a contestant of some kind. I'm a contestant Ooh. in your arcade game show. If well, I mean, is, is, is there a winner? Is there any real winner to this? I don't know. You're smiling. You're beaming. I think you're enjoying yourself. Well, always. I, I'm also, you know, because we've, we've had fan mail that has made it seem like Nate should have his own show, or that we should really just be guests on his show. Absolutely. And then I get to pick the, do I get to pick the topics then, or are you still going to pick the topics? Uh, <laughs> I'd love to say yes, <laughs> yes, you get to choose, but I feel like I'd be the snarky producer who just kind of throws stuff at you. Well, I am beside myself waiting to know what we're going to talk about. I've got some random topics. Here's a super random topic. Let's see if what you guys have as a response. Can you name, or are there any any that stand out in your mind, comics that you've read, that you've enjoyed, that involved snow? Because we're dealing with a snow day right now. Tons of snow in Toronto. We've got like, snow up to like many, many feet. Are there particular issues that you remember that you can think of that involve snow? That aren't just Iceman related. Well, hey, oh, well, I mean, Uncanny, what is it, uh, 340? Is it? That's not it. Yeah, Iceman? Um, yeah, another one you're talking about, where he's holding his dad on the cover? Yeah, 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 he's in the ice, he's in the snow, that's a, that's an evocative cover, but I wasn't thinking of that one. Okay, what are you thinking of? Paul, as he's thinking about it, you haven't oh, even jumped to mind? Ben O'Reilly Spider-Man issues, um, what was it, I can't remember what the arc is called. Media was Blizzard. Media something? Medial Blizzard, there you go, yeah. yeah. This is a very issues. striking cover to Amazing Spider-Man, I think 408, where it's just Ben in the snow lying down. Like, it's great. Yeah. Very very minimalist cover. Like, that wasn't, uh, didn't tax Mark Bagley the most that day. <laughs> That's for sure. 408. I'm looking at this, I haven't seen this before. I'm just, it's coming up on Marvel here. Oh yeah, look at that, I like that, that's really good. Yeah. Wow, I've never seen that before. Really? I, I should have known that Paul would come up with that immediately. Like, that would be the one. Yeah. I mean, I am slowly collecting them at the uh, Ben Riley Epic, whatever it's called, collections or complete collections. But I don't, I don't think I have this one. That's really cool. I think that's I in volume two. I want to say. I think I don't have volume two. Gosh, well. I love this costume. Gosh, I miss this costume. <laughs> I know they're doing covers for it, but are they? You know, it's not. It's not back back. Even like the new kind of Ben Riley costume isn't quite this, and it makes me no. Although speaking no. of that costume, so the Ben Riley Spider Man, uh, I guess four issue miniseries by Jamin DeMatteis is launching, I believe, this week as we speak. So that's retro tales from when he was the one true Spider Man. Um, so he's wearing that costume. So you got to pick up those issues or the trade in your case, Nate. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, has this terrible cover with that uh, female octopus, uh, that octopus that was uh, we all lambasted when uh, oh, yeah. Adam sent the picture. Oh, <laughs> hey, going back, going back quickly, just to Ben's current costume and beyond. Is it just me, or is the big spider on the chest off centered, and is it on purpose? It is on purpose. Okay. It was always off center. I, I always thought that was a a, a tip of the hat to the Scarlet Spider costume. That's that is okay. I could be wrong, but that's what I always took it to be. But yeah, it always looked yeah. a, a little off. Right, because Ben's Scarlet Spider costume also has an offset spider, so I guess they're going for that. Well, that must be what it is. Cause it is offset on an angle on the hoodie, and, that, and that's fine. It works for the hoodie, but for this logo. You know how it goes all the way down the body, similar to the his Spider-Man costume. It, the whole spider being a little off kilter is, I, don't know, kind of, I get it, but it's kind of weird for me. I would say my answer to your question is not a cover. It's um, it's issue three forty one. So issue three forty is a cover of Iceman, but issue three forty one is the Christmas issue mm. where Joseph kisses Rogue on the forehead. That is cemented in my brain, and I know there's especially for older fans, right? There's that. Um, is that an uncanny issue with um, Wolverine? Is it a Wolverine issue or an uncanny issue? I think it's a Wolverine issue, actually, with him in the snow. That's cemented in a lot of people's brains. That's, but, an, unca- uh, that's an uncanny issue. It's uncanny? And this is like kind of almost like a, an update or a homage to that. And I remember like, oh my gosh, that's the Punisher in the background. I'm like, look, I'm spotting little you know Easter eggs. And um, just, yeah, so when I think of Snowtime Comics 341, which I read over and over and over again, I was so into that rope. Joseph relationship thing. Love mm. Triangle Gambit. That, um, that's a favorite one. Wasn't that uh, X Men like Unlimited or whatever, where they crash a Blackbird in the Arctic or whatever, and they got to survive? Oh, Unlimited number two. one, right? Yeah, absolutely great, great issue. I love that too. It's <laughs> yeah. good choices too. Uh, there's also uh, there's an amazing Spider-Man one by Bacalo that was all about a blizzard hitting New York as well uh, in Spider-Man. So. Spider-Man does a lot of those. Um, there was a, a brief crossover. Brand new day. Yeah. Uh, yes. During the brand new day era. Yeah. yeah. There was uh, yeah. also a period when uh, in Simonson's Thor actually, where the casket of ancient winters uh, blanketed mm-hmm. the earth briefly. Uh, so there was a bunch of you know comics that suddenly had a lot of winter in them. So that- which is that uh, and that Dan Jurgens issue with Dan Jurgens and Andy Cooper with the same thing, casket of ancient winters. I love the mm-hmm. art of that one too. What's that? The more messy that find. That was, yeah, that was somewhere between issues, what, 27 and 40. Like, in that period is when you had Andy Cooper come on. Uh, I think that was the first time I ever saw Beta Ray Bill was Andy Cooper drawing him. Uh, there was also, like... Uh, is that right? I think so. I think that's right. I, I could be wrong. but So that was, yeah, that so was like... Issue, that's how I wanted to lead this off, was talking about snow and comics. The issue with the, the, the ice and snow on it is 31, so this is be volume 2 after Hero's Return, um, issue 31, but I guess issue you know, 30's also got a bunch of that too, so that's a great Malekith casket of Ancient Winters. Hmm. Incredible art in that. I cannot wait for that to get recollected. Yeah, it's been an omnibus format for a while, and I do not know why they haven't put that into this, the, the, the Heroes Return trades that we're seeing throughout the other books that were relaunched around that time, but it's got to be a matter of time. Um, I will definitely buy that. I thought about the omnibuses, but I just, I don't know, I didn't I didn't want to read it that way, um, which is very unlike same, me, since I love omnibuses. And same, and same thing with the Perez Bedrooms, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I have, I mean, well, that they did... Originally, it was just called Avengers Assemble, and that was like the first yeah. 50-something issues were all collected in that run, and I have all of those. 
Um, so I do have that run. But yeah, I, then they did the omnibuses after that. So that's if omnibuses come first, maybe I would have had that. But so one one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, and so we talked about this kind of briefly over text. But I'm I'm curious, and I want to get your thoughts on other things about this. Um, so we found out that Zeb Wells is going to be relaunching Amazing Spider-Man with John Romita Jr., who's of course Paul's favorite artist. Uh, we we have to get him some original art right away. Um, but I guess my big question is that obviously JRJR is a char- is, is not a character; he's a creator who routinely kind of comes back to Spider-Man. So every few years or so, he comes back and does like, you know, you know, uh, I guess over a decade ago, it was uh, New Ways to Live or New Ways to Die, sorry. Uh, he came back for that. Uh, now we have him coming back and actually launching a book. So when you guys think of JRJR, when you think about him and Spider-Man, what's the first thing that kind of comes to your mind? What's the first comic or the first, you know, story that you remember that you think of when you think of JRJR and Spider-Man? I'm going to go with Paul first because he's smiling. He doesn't always smile on this podcast. Smiling. This time he's smiling ear to ear. He's so excited. Um, I guess the one that sticks out to me is the end of the Clone Saga Liberation when uh, you know Bankus turned to dust. Um, mushiest of all mush faces when he's all beat up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if the first thing that popped into my mind it would be probably that issue to come to it being Spider-Man later. And like, look, I don't hate everything he does. Like, he do, he does have a certain blocky style that I'm not a big fan of. But he's got some good stuff in his time too. Like, I don't mind his Wolverine Enemy of the State. Um, you know, we we all looked in awe when the, we first see the Phoenix Five, and that was his art. It looked amazing. Um, you know, but we, you can tell you can tell when he do, he has the ability to. to great clean art if he takes his time and you can tell when it's the mushy sausage finger fest that uh, we tease him about as well so when he rushes um, but yeah for Spider-Man the first thing I can think of would be that Revelations issue at the end of the Clone Saga for sure the reason why I laugh all the time Paul is that usually if I mention JRJR like your eyes just immediately start to roll like you, like you can't help it it doesn't matter yeah. what comic we're talking about it could be talking about a comic you don't even like in general and I'm like oh man they're getting JRJR on it, and you still can't help but to cr- create an eye roll. Like that's that's this reaction that's created. You obviously don't hate him. He's not like you know. If you found out that oh, Amazing Spider-Man is about to relaunch with Rob Liefeld, I mean, I think you just fall over out of your chair. But you wouldn't be happy about it at all. But there's at least with JRJR, you like him sometimes, and I think everyone can kind of understand and agree that you know when he has time, when he puts in the effort, and he's not rushing, his art can be amazing. But if but he's one of those artists that you can really tell when he's hitting a deadline. Whereas when someone like Mark Bagley is hitting a deadline, it's not as obvious. Like you can tell if you're a fan of his, but it's still good. It's just not as good as it usually is. Whereas with JR so it's, it's slippery slope. So it's like the Hulk uh, in the Avengers, where it's like my secret is I'm always angry. So with JR JR, it's like this is my secret is. It's always mushy face. It's always <laughs> so you can't tell what I'm slowing down or I'm speeding up. Absolutely, Nate. What would you say is the first thing you think of when you think of JRJR on Spider-Man? I mean, I speak with great love of this artist. I I really love him, even when he goes full sausage. I I don't have a problem. I I appreciate everything that he's done. I think his layouts are great. I think he's a fantastic storyteller. I love his Punisher and his X-Men and his Daredevil. What can you know? What can you say bad about his Daredevil? It's incredible. But Spider-Man 72 um, is probably one of my favorite Spider-Man issues ever. Like, I love the Spider-Man 72. This is volume one. This is a, an onslaught mm. impact. 
those of you who might not like it, it, Onslaught, doesn't matter. You don't have to know anything about Onslaught. Onslaught's not in the issue. It's just him <laughs> fighting. It's Ben fighting Sentinels. Sentinels. Amazing issue. Amazing issue. Incredible. Yeah. I and, and Peter joins him and drops in and stuff like that. It's just um, incredible. So that is my favorite. One of my favorite issues and definitely one of my favorite issues. Interesting. Now, let me ask you a question, Paul, because as you said, you oscillate between enjoying his artwork and not. When you do think of things you haven't liked from JRJR, and oftentimes we don't go negative on the show, so this will be a, a brief dalliance with negative. But, um, <laughs> well, I try not to be as negative as, as some other shows. Like we, the one time we did a, a top five uh, favorite X Men um, storylines, we also did least favorite. And I'm like, we'll never do that again because I didn't really oh, yeah? like the idea of going negative. But I'm just in, curious in general when you think of something you have not liked of JRJRs for whatever reason. What's the first thing that does pop into your mind, Paul? Oh God! <laughs> like I had, I had is two guesses, not, but I wasn't sure. Phoenix? Yeah, uh, I won't say anything then. Can Nate and I guess, and then you can tell us if we're right? <laughs> sure. Nate, what's your guess for what he would say? I was going to say, I, I was going to say the Phoenix Buster appearance in AVX. I thought that was one of the things he hates the most. That was one of my guesses. The that other one was right. was was the World War or the 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 World War Hulk armor as well. Yeah, <laughs> just armor, over right? Two, like over two on the Hulkbusters for sure. Yeah, <laughs> God, big big bricks. Like I don't know what he was doing to design those things. Like I don't know, little tiny Tony head and this big blob of armor. Yeah, both both designs were pretty horrendous. You look forward to you know cool designs for armor for Tony so like they never put Romita Jr. on an Iron Man book because it will be the most hideous thing you've ever seen because yeah the guy can't do armor that's uh or that's is he really true. smart that he gave him something he knew he could he could nail he's like a giant block I got this <laughs> well I mean it's interesting too because his art has shifted so much of course since when he was younger and he was kind of like almost emulating more of his dad's style that when he was on Iron Man right it's not anywhere as blocky. Like his his early stuff is like, is this really him? So, yeah. Either you get him when he was young. Remember that hunk? Remember that hunk? Uh, Marvel hunk of the whatever of the month of the year. He's the only hunk, isn't he? That they I think so. The, uh... <laughs> he would have been like the youngest one. Like who else was there? I don't know. So hunky for me to junior. He'll give you the Iron Man one, but not the new one. Okay. So I'm going to keep it on Spider-Man for a second. So I'm going to ask this question. Sorry, just, just for one more point on Ramita. Like, like yeah. Ramita tends to get put on projects that can be very high profile. Mm. So the, the the pacing and, and the, the story sometimes really helps you get past some of the mush and, and the blockiness. And the like, is fresh art. But the story behind it is so good, you can kind of just move past it and still roll with it. Like, even though we, we say comics, you know, is by far a visual medium. Like, we we've talked about those Jason Aaron story issues that were play, painted blindly by a monkey that looked completely hideous, and, and no story was saving that. But at the end of the day, sometimes he, he gets the, the benefit of the doubt as well, you know, because obviously Wolverine and the State, not all the issues are, are fantastic. Some of it's rushed through, but I enjoy the story so much that I can kind of, okay, I'll, I'll get through this. And it's for me to art, so I know what it is. Let's move on. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name three artists that were. Uh, very high profile in the mid in the mid two thousands, uh, and that aren't are still around. Some of them to varying degrees, but you don't hear about them as much, or it feels like they don't always get as much of the the push as they used to. And I'm curious of the following three artists: if 
you found out, you know, book X was going to be illustrated by one of these guys, which one of these guys would be the most, uh, you know, attractive to you in terms of wanting you to pick up this book of whatever C or D list character that might be elevating that month. So I'm going to list these three artists. What? No, he's not. He he wasn't on my list. So I got. He should be. Got to love Jimmy Chung. Wasn't he one of the first young guns when they did that? I think so. Although he'd already yeah. been around for like a decade and had already been a Marvel oh, yeah, before. Yeah. yeah. I, I will buy that last Iron Man epic to get that art. I know the stories aren't good, but Jimmy Chong draws the crap out of superheroes talking on a rooftop. So I'm there for that. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's fair. So here are the three. We got Steve McNiven, who we don't hear a lot from anymore, but oh, was yeah. very big in the mid-2000s, especially did Civil War. They did a lot of big stuff. Yeah. Did Old Man Logan. Uh, we got Olivier Coipel, still around but not always doing high-profile books anymore. Like, he kind of jumps in and out of projects. And he got Andrea DeVito, who never got the respect he, de- he deserved, but was an amazing artist. And I knew that Nate used to love him quite a, mu- quite a lot. So if one of these three guys was about to illustrate, I don't know, Vance Astrovic is going to get a relaunch and be brought up. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really had to re- reach deep into the DRC list. Which one of the which one of these artists would be enough to make you say, you know what, I'm interested in giving this a try? Hold on, can you give me some something Devito did because I don't know Devito off the top of my head. The Thing miniseries. <laughs> that's not a good. Thing. That was the, uh, what else? That's what we're gonna give him. No, no, no. Yeah, but Dan Slott and Devito did that. What else did he do? Um, he first came up with Crossing Comics, who's really well known for working on a, on a book called Brath and uh, also working on the first. I uh, Marvel's. Did you re- Sorry, go ahead. Did you read the World War Hulk X-Men miniseries, Paul? Remember that? Where he fights the Hulk, uh, fights, the, fights the Juggernaut? That's mm-hmm. kind of a fun... He also, he also was the illustrator of Annihilation, 1-6, to six, like the original miniseries yeah. that was Annihilation. He did that. Um, he also did uh, Civil War House of M, which is, you know, not probably talked about as much. He did do a number of issues of Nova, um, which I know you, you enjoyed back okay. during that yeah. Richard Ryder period that we really liked. He draws a good look at Nova. He yeah. does. Uh, he did uh, an amazing arc on Thor uh, called Thor uh, during Avengers Disassembled, which was called Ragnarok, uh, which ended that book for a while. Um, again, hasn't yeah. done a lot of high-profile stuff in a while. He did two issues of Young Avengers back in the day. So, I mean, he's, he's done some stuff. He may not be okay. your first one. That's okay. That was I threw that in more for Nate because I knew that would entice him. Paul, have you read Oming, Mike Oming, and um, I guess you don't know Tevito as much, but have you read his Ragnarok storyline that, that kind of moved into Disassemble? Yes, but a while ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. As long as you've read it, I wasn't yeah, sure. Before, I, I wasn't sure that Paul had ever read that because I kind of thought that Paul's. You know, enjoyment of, of Thor really only started after he came back with JMS, which would have been after that Ragnarok. So I'm, I'm impressed no, that you even read it. I didn't go back to it. I didn't read it at the time. I went back to it. Okay. Yeah. It's still great. It's still great. You know, sadly, most people didn't read it at the time. I think a lot of people came to yeah. it later because Thor yeah. had just come off of having, like, you know, what, 60-something issues by Dan Jurgens, And it was about to be, you know, ended in... There was no signs of a relaunch in, in the offing. So I think a lot of people just kind of let Ragnarok kind of happen under the radar. And it was a brilliant story. In fact, he also, and DeVito also did the follow-up, which was Stormbreaker, the saga of, of Beta Ray Bill, which was kind of uh, yeah. following up on, it, it did kind of come back to what happened to the Asgardians afterwards and what happens to Beta Ray Bill. So that's Andrea DeVito for you. Yeah, he's great. So Paul, I've heard of some of these things. I just can't picture anything, but it's Koi Pal. 100% Koi Pal. <laughs> it's Koi Pal, eh? 
yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that that you know, I have a framed cover of Thor number one with him and JMS on my wall. Like it's just his art, just really is striking. Um, always been a huge fan. I, I like McNiven stuff, and you know, if I go digging for for Devito stuff, I'm sure it's good as well. But of those three, it's, it's hands down Koypel for me. So before I go to Nate, then what if I, what if it was Koypel versus Dowderman? <laughs> yeah. What if wow. what if it was what if Koypel was going to do uh, a series of variant covers for X Men books, and you've already seen how gorgeous um, Dowderman's are? Which one do you go with then? Whose variants do you want to see? This isn't even fair. Um, well, I've seen the Donovan one, so I would like to see what Coipel does. So I'm yeah. going to keep going Coipel, though. I'm All right. just going to fall trap here, Adam. <laughs> All right, Nate, what do you got for me? <laughs> um, love the Vito. Big fan. Everyone, he's kind of like Greg Land, but he actually can like compose his own images without needing to trace off of something. But uh, everyone's attractive. Everyone's unrealistic, unbelievable, too, too attractive. Um, I followed him. Pretty much everything you've mentioned, I, I picked up. I have still. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I would probably like to get an original piece from him one day. I think he is an unsung artist, but he's not. He's not a incredible storyteller. He's not the which is interesting. He's kind of like at the other end of the spectrum, almost with uh, Ramita Jr. Both great artists. Nothing wrong with either of them, but Ramita Jr. is like very, very strong fundamentals, mm-hmm. and uh, Devito is just like more pinup, pretty stuff. Um, in that kind of, he doesn't look like Jim Lee, but in that uh, that philosophy of Jim Lee, so he's at the bottom of the three because I, so I think he's wonderful. But McNiven just has his own style that kind of branches off from um, that that Jim Lee school almost. And so he's unique. I love his take on hair. Um, you never know what he's going to do with textures. Really, the interesting textures on on the hands and skins, like but. Uh, the Void, he does the, the Century Story into Avengers and the Void, that, that version of the Void, and all of a sudden you have these gnarled mm. fingers. and um, So just really great there with his tech. But I do not think that anyone on this list compares in terms of storytelling to Coypel. He's a beautiful renderer, but also he's a fantastic storyteller. A little bit weird, a little odd sometimes with his panel placement, little some choices that are challenging, I would say. Um, like, which panel do I read next kind of thing like that, but... Um, overall, I, he's one of my favorites. He's he's one of the artists that I have been trying, especially before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, to get to a show mm. to see because he's from France, right? So like he doesn't always come over here. So I've been trying to meet him at a show, buy a piece of his art to meet him, get him to sign it, um, to get him to the the other signature on my House of M trade that I have Bendis' signature on, kind of thing. Because I love love his work on House of M. So um, absolutely, Olivia Coivel. I, I don't think any of the other artists would be. For Vance Astrovic would, would get my attention. I would read anything that Koypel put up for sure. Okay, uh, let me ask. Uh, I think I feel like we've kind of done this type of question before, but I always like to come back to it. Um, what if you had to choose? You know, who is your favorite Kubert brother? Done. <laughs> Nate's like, no, I know this. All right, who is who is your favorite Kubert? Is it Adam? It's, it's- Adam, every, Adam just wants me to say the name Adam. Adam is my favorite. <laughs> and then he can just cut the audio clip and then put it on his phone every time I call. Um, you know, yeah, now I'm going to do that. <laughs> no one can stop you. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely think Andy takes a bit more after his dad. Mm. He has a bit more of a rougher style. Um, all the Coopers have excellent, I think, fundamentals, but the storytelling 
the, the ability to tell story just with pages and, and the creativity doing fisheye lens shots, right? There's this like um, ultimate X-Men issue where uh, they're, they're looking through a peephole and then there's this fisheye, you know what I'm talking about? This mm-hmm. fisheye shot of like Logan. I know Logan's in the hallway. I don't know what other um, X-Men are there. Yeah. Um, and, and he's like warps the image in a way that I can understand what's going on, but it's playing with all the angles. Like he's always pushing the envelope. And um, he's just he's just uh, so kinetic and incredible. I think Andy's more of a pinup artist, and nothing wrong with that. I think he's better at covers, yeah. but um, I love them both. But um, I don't think that Andy really hits his stride until like Captain America with Mark Wade. Like mm. I don't think that he's. Whereas Adams is coming out of the gate, like almost everything he's doing. I, I just I'm just I find drawn in by it. Anyway, that's my, my favorite product. It's really interesting, Nate, because I, I agree with you in most ways. I think that you're right that just from a storytelling perspective, Adam is the superior artist. I think he thinks more visually. I think his stuff is definitely more kinetic. There's more of an action and intensity to it. I don't think he's the better artist, though. I think that Andy still is the better artist, but I think it, for what comic books are, as a visual medium, you do have to give it to Adam because, again, he has more of a – his storytelling is stronger. Uh, there's just something more visceral about how he lays out a page, whereas Andy's stuff is, you know, kind of in the Jim Lee school of, you know, not necessarily telling a great story, but the, every page looks good. Like the like a lot of the X Men stuff I love by Andy, they're just posing, they're just standing there like yeah. looking great, but they're yeah. not really telling a story. But damn, they look so good. So it's it's really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's really <laughs> it's, that's that's amazing X Men. Most of amazing X Men is like I don't know who that is. It turns out it's Exodus. I don't know who that is, but they can stand and give a pose like nobody's business. Dazzler has never posed so well, and she poses for a living as a pop star. Yeah, for sure. Oh, her and that cigarette man. I mean, like if that doesn't make you want to buy cigarettes, right there. That's the problem, right? Like those two brothers, especially, make people smoke. In such a fashion, especially Adam again with blown uh, uh, nostrils, smoke out of smoke out of nostrils, cyber smoking a stubby. Actually, not Adam, the one I'm thinking of. No, that's a different artist. But uh, lots of those images of, of, of Gambit, for example. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know how to do about it because I wish they would bring smoking back in comics because it just it adds so much character to these people. But I'm so conflicted because I don't want kids to think it's cool. But damn, it's so cool! Like it looks so good. There's there's that visual element there. Yeah. So I think. Nice if cigarettes didn't exist anymore in real life. And it was like, they have a marble special stick, and this is what they're doing. But, yeah, I missed that. What about you, you, Paul? Which uh, which Cupid's your favorite? By the way, kids don't smoke. Hold on. Okay, so move on. Moving on. I don't know. When I read comics as a kid, I never had an urge to smoke because Wolverine smoked. Whatever. Um, You know what? I'm going to have to take a bit of a pass on this because I don't see the intricacies of the art as differently as you guys do between them. Hmm. Um, I have something I've noticed in my time of, of reading their work. So, and seeing their work. Um, so I don't have a preference. Oh, well, nothing wrong with that. They're both good. So, Oh no, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I definitely like when I know they're assigned to a book, I know it's going to be good stuff. So I'm not too worried about it, but in terms of a distinction, I don't think I have a preference. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're both great artists. Like, yeah, we should, you know, say that they're both great, and just one of them is usually some, sometimes better than the other. It's interesting to kind of. See, it's interesting that their family is so concentrated in talent that you have. You know, their dad was supremely talented at what he did, and then his his sons are also you know so talented at what they do as well. Like that's that's pretty amazing that they're able to kind of continue that gene. Yeah, 
I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say right here, Wolverine ninety. I'm sorry. Wolverine 90, one of the greatest all-time comics. If you are listening to this podcast and you don't have a copy in your collection, just to like peruse it and enjoy it, you gotta you gotta go get it. But I have so a, I have a rejoinder to that. I would say X Men 55, but Andy is so good. Can't even remember what it is. X Men 55. They're standing on Four Freedoms Plaza, looking out over the onslaught ravaged city. Come on. See, I would say. That shot is not my favorite. I would say the beginning, the beginning of that issue, right? Isn't the beginning of the issue? The Sentinel is face. Four fifty-five with the Sentinels. I'd say that is much stronger. But um, X Men um, fifty as well with Post. Mm. I mean, Post is a nothing character, but like X Men fifty with Post is, I would say, altogether a better issue for Mandy. Like it's incredible when you have Cyclops sprawled out there, pulling off again. Shades back to X Men Unlimited number one with Psych unable to control his <laughs> class because where people's eyes have been destroyed. I love that. Kind of like the survival horror thing of like, oh no, like what's gonna happen? And then just beams into spoilers from 30 years ago, blasts right into post. Just you see all the, the, the force blasts shining out of him and screaming, and then that post stubble. Never knew post had texture on his face until you see Andy, uh, Andy Cooper draw stubble. I think that's what they're both good at is stubble, but Andy might, I think, what a reason why Adam likes it is Andy has a slight edge on the stubble. I think he does. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question, just a general one. Do you think we saw as much stubble in comics until Jim Lee? Like, I feel like Jim Lee's one of the first guys who really started making stubble more of like, because he uses so much detail X-Men in X-Men number places. one. Yeah. Magneto, X-Men number one, right? But, like, I feel like that was never really a thing. Like, if you look at a lot of, like, old comics, I don't remember really caring or noticing that any, any character had, like, stubble and that he looked cool. Yeah, it was, um... Um, what's his name? Um, Silvestri. Did he do stubble in his Wolverine stuff? Like, I, it's on my shelf. I don't have it in front of me. I'm not sure. Was he doing that? I'm not sure, actually. I feel like maybe he, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. He was definitely doing a lot of um, interesting things with expressions, but yeah, maybe it was Jim who sets that bar. And then no one really picks up on it until the Cooper brothers. Like, mm. I don't think Larson is doing a lot of stubble in his time either. No, I don't think so. So here's a here's a question about X Men X Men specific. Uh, which X Men or X related character who has not had an ongoing before would you really like to see? An ongoing. An ongoing adventure. There's only a few who have actually had ongoing adventures. Usually it's Gam- it's Gambit, Wolverine, and Bishop are the three most obvious. I guess Jean Grey's wasn't technically a miniseries uh, when it was young Jean Grey, but, uh, you know, it didn't last very long. And, but. and, and Cable, of course, and X-Men, Yeah, right? and Cable, but, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, like, it's, it's funny the, because it's, it's where the X-Men differs from the Avengers almost the most is a lot of the Avengers can stand on their own two feet in their own solo books where very few X-Men are capable of doing well, so. I don't know if I agree with that, Paul. I would say that the Avengers were created as a team of pre-existing characters. So it's not really fair to say it's the same because a lot of those characters, you know, already had their own books. You already had a Thor book. You already had a Captain America. You already had Iron Man. Like, you, then you shoehorn them onto a team. It's not really the same. Like, a lot of the quote-unquote, like, pure Avengers characters who've never really had ongoings, like Hawkeye, who's had, like, miniseries here and there. Like, he's... Can he really stand on his own two feet? I love him as a character, but like until Matt Fraction kind of revolutionized him, I don't think he really had an ongoing up until that point. So I would say the core Avengers, yes, they already had pre-existing ongoings, but anyone who's more of a pure Avengers character, they don't usually get ongoings, and they don't last very long. 
Yeah, but I, I don't I don't disagree. I think what he's saying is still true. I think that they they last longer or have been better celebrated mm. critically, and the numbers and the sales show that. Yeah. And X Men is a has been a much more popular franchise and should have every reason to be more successful. And then they throw X Men at us for like whatever it is, seventy five issues, and I. I've never – I've read maybe one issue of that series. What? Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. I read one that I collected by, on my own and then Adam loaned me – you loaned me the Ellis stuff and I enjoyed the Ellis stuff. But yeah. other than that, like he's kind of like – I don't care, right? So they – it's like Marvel had this thing that said Xbox will sell and they're throwing this character at us that has never had any of the praise that a single issue of the Fracture Run mm. had ever had. So – I don't know. I just feel like I, I don't think it's impossible. I just I don't think history has shown it. I think that the X Men are better as a family, mm. and the Avengers aren't a family. They're a police force. They're a world. I mean, this is what you know, a lot of uh, creators have tried to do. Anyone like Music were the world police force, and then Hickman later were the world were the global, international, intergal- intergalactic police force. So they're kind of like at a job, mm. and even though sometimes they hang out on the roof and they like try to like you know <laughs> date each other. Um, they're not as much of the family, right? That the X-Men are the family they've chosen. They've chosen their family. So I feel like they're better as an ensemble. Um, even though, I mean, I, I like Gambit, never really bought Gambit as a series. So even if me, who's an X-Men fan, I'm not buying it. But I've bought Black, almost every Black Widow series. And I bought the, the about Hawkeye and I'm buying Cap and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Hmm. But X Men are better together, I guess. Yeah. Is it? Is there an X but, character you'd be like? You know what? I will. I'll give this a shot. I'll follow this. Oh, one oh, person. X Men, of course, right? No, no. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think Storm could probably carry something right now. Um, I look at her as a character. Um, she's grown a lot. You know, her being this regent of of Araco or Mars, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think she's someone who's uh, really developed and evolved, and I think someone who can carry some weight, um, has an amazing power set, has a cool story, um, could have tons of people, guests uh, come and go, people she can mentor. Um, so, yeah, I think she could do something. A character that I'm not sure where he is right now, or if he's even like in, in his coherent state of mind or not, but I think in some ways Banshee would work as a, as a solo character because... He doesn't feel as tied into the to the mythos of X Men. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he could have adventures that kind of take place with. Like, he has had contacts in Interpol. Obviously, he's been like an X character for many years, but he's also operated, you know, independently of them. And I think he could work as a character that doesn't feel as tied down. That you don't need to have tied. Like, why isn't he with the X Men right now? He doesn't need to be. He's he's Banshee. Sometimes he just goes and does stuff. Sometimes he's with X. You know, Generation X. Sometimes. He's dead for a while and then back as a horseman. Like, things happen. I'd love to kind of get into that character's head because I feel like there's a lot of unexplored territory. And, like, you know, maybe goes back to Ireland. Maybe goes hangs out at Cassidy Keep. Like, you could have Siren in the book. You could have Black Tom hanging out. Not now because Black Tom's actually much cooler on Krakoa than he's ever been before. But, I mean, just in general, like, that character has a lot of avenues that they've never really, you know, ever cared to discuss. There's leprechauns in his ca- in, in Cassidy Keep, for God's sakes. Like, I mean, there's, there's shit going down there. I don't want the leprechaun book, all right. I mean... Yeah, I don't know if I'd tune in for a, an Irish stereotype book. I mean, if Koipel drew it, though. I mean, that's what we're getting at, right? Like, 
Sorry, Van Sastrovic was just a smokescreen. I really want a Banshee book by Olivier Coipel. I mean... You would buy it. Storm Storm is interesting because I was... Blinded is the wrong word. I was completely unaware of what her character was under Claremont because my only initial experience was reading comics after seeing her in the cartoon. So the cartoon Storm is kind of like underdeveloped let's say she's really not developed almost at all no. they play around with a few classic stories and they fight for the leadership of the X-Men against the Morlocks and then she has Mishnari and then there's Mishnari and the Astral Plane quickly before the Astral Plane reseals itself reseals itself reseals itself like I, there's only a few stories <laughs> she's either Amber's upstairs right now repeating the lines and finishing the, the, the it's almost like you know a dental plan Lisa needs braces it's just kind of this <laughs> thing that we can hear but so it's, it's it's Shadow King, claustrophobia, and maybe a story or two if you're lucky about her doing something else. She's kind of boring. She's a great voice actor who uh, enunciates perfectly and never uses contractions and is always saying what she's doing. Right? She's very much like an anime character that always said to think about character. But I found her uninteresting. And then you get into the comics, and I didn't know that there was this giant gap after. Left and then he left on that on not on good terms, and that he had been developing her in these complex ways, and this interesting story about life, death, and her losing her powers and coming to grips with who she is, and becoming this incredibly important and and counter leader. Like she's not a yes man to Xavier's dream; she's no. the one who's calling Xavier out on his bullcrap, whereas Cyclops was the good boy scout. But then. Will Sportasio takes over, and then Jim Lee take over, and then she just becomes a costume for a long time. And she never, she doesn't say badly who about Xavier's you know, plans or really challenge him on things or push the envelope. She's not there to really create tension in the, in the team anymore about saying, look, she is a different viewpoint on the industry, on the, you know, peace with humans. Um, and, and when did she become interesting again? I don't know, maybe Krakoa. Like I'm saying, like Paul's saying, like I don't know how many storylines can I count of her of her that have been interesting with her in them since the '90s, maybe since the '80s. Um, I so mean, there have been some, but it, I think they've been less about her and more about like her affiliation with Black Panther, right? Like you know, when, yeah, they got married, but yeah. I feel like that was that was less about her and more about you know this merging of these two characters but you know it was yeah, yeah. It, was, it felt like less of her personal growth like you didn't see the the storm that was involved with forge and like in couldn't deal with you know and and finding out that he was the one behind the neutralizer gun which you know pops up from time to time yeah just did in x-men didn't it right with him and mystique and that whole i'm gonna send you to orcus and you're gonna is this spoilers should i not talk about uh, I mean, I That's think like Paul, a year ago. Paul and I are looking at each other in a different way than you are looking at us. I'll say that. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, that did happen, but you know things that have happened since. That's yeah. cool. I mean, that sounds um, like a, a good way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so like Storm was always a character that I was like, eh. You know, she had, she looks cool. She has cool powers, but I was always like, whatever. And then now that I'm going through the 70s and 80s stuff again, I'm like, wow, this is the first time. Yeah, she's very compelling. So I, I feel like she's kind of lost that development, that character kind of uh, inertia, and it would be nice to maybe see her picked up again. Other than Storm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anyone else who would be good at an ongoing. I, I love Blink. She already was in Exiles, and that's not really a solo book, but 
No, but she was a, a huge focal point in the book, right? She was. Yeah, she was the reason the, the book got greenlit, right? Because people would love that character. So they're like, well, we'll, we'll make this thing, and she'll be our anchor character because people love her. And then we'll go right. from there. Yeah. And every time they bring Exiles, or try to bring Exiles back, she's always there, right? But at the end of the day, they, Exiles made me love Mimic more than anything else. Calvin Rankin, holy crap. That's you know, true. Who knew, right? Like, they really didn't read the room, though, after uh, Age of Apocalypse did that. They're like, okay, so people love this series. It's good. We're going to bring some characters over. Obviously, we want we want a baby X, uh, we want a baby Cable, so we're going to bring in X-Men. Does anyone like that? Oh, we, we don't know. We, the letters haven't come in yet. We're going to assume yes. Blink, people seem to really like her. We're going to keep Blink. Okay, and then what do you got? Sugar Man and Holocaust? Like, who are you going to bring over that fans are going to resonate with? Interesting choices. Well, I mean, Blink didn't even come over for four years. Like, Exiles didn't start to like ninety nine. Like, this wasn't even like immediate. It was. But they made Dark Beast a big deal. I actually really like Dark Beast. I like him as a antagonist. Oh yeah, him. I was reading uh, X Men Prime with Zach, and Zach's like, "Who are these?" I'm like, "Oh, that's Sugar Man." I was like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Who's that, Dad?" That's Holocaust. Wait, Nemesis. Sorry. Now he's genocide. Yikes. Is that better? All these bad words. No. Yeah, I, I love your your like <laughs> just casual. That's Sugar Man. What? Anyway, moving on. Like, there's like these strong overtones that he like tortures or at least you know uh, tor- uh, torments little children, right? Like like in the initial first issue of Generation X when they go to AOA, it's like they're, they're talking in whispers. With the Sugar Man, he's going to come visit you at night. Like, there's almost this like very very abusive. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'm not. There. I'm not reading my son Generation Next. I'm not crazy. I don't want to give him nightmares on purpose. I know, but it's just, it's just like a, such a casual thing. Like, he's basically, like, in my mind, like a serial killer, you know? Or, and you're like, who's that? That's the Sugar Man. Anyway, like, that's Candyman. That's a movie that I won't I'll show you right now. But, yeah, I got a poster of him with that hook hand in my office. Anyway, let's move on. Like, he's discovering interesting things that his dad has seen. All right, I'm going to do a, a, bit of a, 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 bit of, a bit of a weird trivia game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say... Um, a topic, and I want you to go back and forth by bidding how many you can think you can name of the thing I'm going to uh, tell you. Uh-oh. Oh my goodness! Of, yeah, the last time we did trivia with you, and uh, you were like, "I'm going to bring trivia cards," and then you were like, "You're like, you know what? I'm a card. I'm going to be the trivia card," and you just started making up your own trivia. And a lot of them were about the hobgoblin. I'm like, I feel like this is not really geared towards us or our strengths. I think this is more like Adam is, is enjoying himself. So. Is that is that what this is about? More I mean, it is. Yourself? It is now. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start with uh, Spider-Man's love interests. How many do you think each of you can name? You can start out with a low bid, see if the other person can, you know, go, can do more, or he can tell you to name it and name them as many as you've said, and then if they if you can't, then the other person wins the point. So I'll let Paul does go Jack first. Count? No, okay. it does not. Paul, how many Spider-Man's love interests can you name? How many Spider-Man love interests can I name? Uh, I will say that restating the question is a classic stalling maneuver. (laughs) It is three. Three. Does it have to be uh, Peter or does it can be any of the Spider-Mans? Ooh. I was going to ask that, yeah. Are you talking about Ben specifically or or other Spider-Man? Keeping in mind, I can't really remember Ben's sweetheart right now. I know she's a red ad. I don't remember her name. So this is not going to help me. Okay. This is going to only help Paul. Uh, I'll allow Ben Riley only. And it has to be from 616. I'll say that. No no Spider-Ham, huh? Nope. <laughs> can, so can you name more than three, or are you going to make Paul name them? 
What me? I can name I can name four um, right now, and uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of more than that. But I want me to do four now. Okay, say four, and we'll go to Paul, and you can either tell Nate to name them, or you can say if you can name five. Uh, Deep in thought. He's counting them in his head. Ant May doesn't count, Paul. (laughs) No, no. no. Okay, I think I can do five now. Sure. Oh wow, he's gonna he's gonna get me on this one. Yeah, I can't. uh... Because I mean, what brand new day? I like glazed over, and that's when he starts dating new people. There's really just one from that period, but yes. Yeah, I don't think I can do. I can't can't do more than five. There's no way. I will say I will allow first names only because some of them have tougher last names. I still can't remember that girl that Ben was dating. (laughs) I can't. So I just know that he's dating and he's dating her still now or talking to her now. I'm not. uh, I'm not caught Mm -hmm. up yet on that. So that's more fresh, I suppose, maybe in your minds because you're reading that. That's true. He's he's just dating another MJ. I know that that's a thing. That he's kind of got a weird thing with his like clone self. Okay, but. uh, so we're okay, go ahead, Paul. Okay, go ahead, Paul. Oh, you're gonna search me. Okay. Um. So Gwen. Yeah. And MJ. That's the two. And Felicia. Yeah. And this is the word when I thought of Silk, because they were yeah. they kind of did it when she first got <laughs> it's, you know there. Yeah. It definitely yeah. counts. And the uh, Ben Rayla because it's Janine. That's Janine. Right. That's right. Yeah. I would add Betty Brandt. Yeah. And then I would also add, uh, let's do a little bit of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Let's add a little bit of Kitty, Kitty Pride in there. How about that? Uh, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's a Peter Parker, isn't it? You, you, well, you want to say 616, but... I did enough, say yeah. 616, but uh, I like your oh, gumption yeah. there. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> gumption. I'm all about panache and gumption if I'm about anything. Uh, there's also Carly Cooper. Uh, that was the one oh, from yeah. the Brandy uh, Day era. Yeah, yeah, Carly. Right. Uh, there, there are a bunch of others, but uh, those are yeah. those are definitely the biggest ones. Uh, I, I don't think you can really count Deborah Whitman, but you kind of can, and she was definitely in the you TV series. You want to count Deborah Whitman so badly? <laughs> uh, Liz Allen, I mean, had a crush on Peter, yeah, yeah. but I wouldn't necessarily count they her. Date, but though, right? yeah. they, they didn't date, but would you call her a love interest, perhaps? Oh, well, I guess that's kind of the yeah, semantics, I suppose. Uh, there's Des- Desiree, was also a Ben Riley. Uh, a love interest. Uh, she was the blonde model uh, who frequented the coffee bean, or sorry, daily grind. Sorry, not coffee bean. That's a that's a deep pull from the Clone Saga. I'd also say probably uh, hobgoblin somewhere in there, right? You got to get a hobgoblin <laughs> in this somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I have to come up with a question in some way. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I will ask you a hobgoblin question just for you, Nate. Can you name four? I'm not gonna have an answer for you. <laughs> Can you name uh, Can you name four people under the hood? Nope. Can you name any of them? I know I know Ned Leeds and uh, Mackendale or Massendale. That's my two. That's your two. And then uh, there's a much better goblin named Phil Urich, who was a green goblin. And let's talk about him. No, he was also a hobgoblin, so I'm going to count that as oh, well. True. Dan Slop ruined him later. <laughs> so you got three. Can 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 Paul throw you one more? No, no, I you you I don't even know the answer because you said it a thousand times, but I can't remember them. I don't I don't <laughs> retain that information. This is like Adam puts his Adam puts his children to bed at night, asking them to recite the hobgoblins. This is like his deal. He's really we should have him answering the question. He should ask ask his own questions and then answer. Them. <laughs> 
Just my and, son would know. My son might know. Yeah. Well, he's the better comic book fan than I am. That's <laughs> true. Can you name four different Green Goblins? Uh, one, two, three. Oh, that other that other one who was like, I can't remember the, the the third, is he the third or second one? The one that like no one remembers and he was like barely a goblin for very long. I don't remember his name. So I can only do like the Osbournes and of course Phil and then I can't remember that other one. His name was Bart Hamilton. Yeah, see? He's you know, tr- no, no overpower cards of that guy. No here, <laughs> no. you know, no trading cards of that guy. So I don't know if that really matters. He was long dead by that point. Yeah. He was not fondly remembered. Can you name U.S. Agent's favorite deli sandwich? <laughs> All right, also, let, as important as that guy. All right, let me ask you a question. If you found out tomorrow that they were going to relaunch an X-Men book, would you be more excited if it was Joe Mad or if it was Jim Lee? <laughs> they both, they're both so different now, too. I know. I mean, I would say the style of Mad has, has evolved more than Jim Lee's style has, but... Um, they're not the same as they once were. I mean, isn't Jim kind of really notorious for having troubles with scheduling still, like keeping up with a... Um, I mean, I think yes, but I think it's more like he is... He's got a lot of other jobs these days, uh, whereas I think yeah. back in the day, like that that was the big thing about Hush, that they didn't even publish it until they knew that he had yeah. enough issues in the can. Um, right. Because they didn't trust that he was going to be able to hit a deadline. But it was actually interesting when I talked to Dan DiDio that talking about the fact that um, Jim Lee had said, no, I don't want to be on a prestige project. I want to be on the Batman book. Like, I want to be on the monthly right. book. I want to do an arc on the book. I don't want to be doing my own Batman title, which is interesting. Um, but, yeah. And they were like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Show us that you can get enough in the can that you won't be late. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting too, right? Because there was a period in the early to mid-2000s where lateness was just, like, rampant at Marvel. Like, Marvel... I have to give them credit, but also discredit them at the same time. Because on the one hand, they held books up until the artists could finish them, which is annoying from a, a buyer's perspective. You're like, well, what do you mean I can't buy Ultimates, you know, two issue eight or whatever? What do you mean it's yeah. going to be another delay? But but at least they're all by that artist. Whereas DC was like, well, yeah. let's just move on to the next artist because if we need the the book to keep published on time, and so like there's something to that. That you have a regular yeah. book coming out, and so yeah, the artist couldn't maintain it, so you bring in a fill-in or whatever. But then at Marvel, you have these crazy delays, but at least you get to have Cassidy doing all of Astonishing X-Men. You have, you know, um, as I said, Hitch doing all of Ultimates. Like you have these or consistent Mc, runs. Mc, McNiven, or even McNiven on Civil War, right? Like That's that right, was delayed. Yeah. I remember that was a big deal. And Crisis was around the same time, and they were like, "What do we do?" And then DC didn't delay Crisis; they put some villain artists in. That was that whole mantra of like, "Well, you know, Yamoto in Nintendo has said." like a bad video game is bad forever and the same kind of thing in comics like mm-hmm. a late comic an incomplete comic is always forever it will be incomplete or rushed or it will be villain mm-hmm. artists so I remember that yeah they had a big splash picture of all DC heroes and it was a complete fast and fresh mess and they fixed it in the trade I think or something right they did uh, I, I think that's wrong I think they they it wasn't that it was a rushed mess I think that they decided things afterwards that did not reflect the new directions they were going in so then they retroactively kind of changed it in the trade etc it wasn't that it was a mess it wasn't that it was a bad image because it wasn't uh, it was just they, they changed some of the costumes etc uh, they changed some characters that were taken out completely because they changed their minds um 
I don't. How do you guys feel about something like that, where you get like a printed comic, and then they go in afterwards, either in digital editions or in collected editions, and they start to tweak it or start to change it to reflect, oh, we sh- we shouldn't have done that, or we shouldn't have dropped that line of dialogue, and they change make those changes. Do you guys like that they do that? Do you not care, or you like? What are your thoughts? I'm giving it a lot of thought already because I most buy <laughs> in trades now. Like I don't, I wouldn't even know. Like I've heard of yeah, certain controversies sure. where they're like. Artists have been, you know, caught drawing offensive stuff or anti-Semitic stuff or whatever it is in a comic, and then thought no one would notice. And on their first print run, they didn't. Or Batman Peen or something like that in a in a DC comic or whatever like that. And then they changed it for that reason, for their own censorship reasons. But um, for the most part, I, I'm, I know I'm unaware of that. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really militant about censorship. I don't think that editors and Companies should be telling artists, you know, what they can and can't do. I know that that's a, that can become a, a problem when they're unable to say speak truths in their art. Mm-hmm. But um, if, if there's a good reason for it, I guess I don't really care because the original comic is still around and I can go buy it. Sure, Paul. How do you feel about the? You know, again, would you rather have a, a late issue, a very late issue, or a fill-in artist to get the issue in your hands? Um, I still think you go and you pick up a book with the intention, um, because because of the particular creative team that's on that book, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, Unworthy Throws mm-hmm. a good example. So, Quipo was on that book originally. Um, so, I mean, anyways, part of the Thor run. But when you when you're buying a book, when you have that advertised um, artist or creative team, and suddenly they're taken off the board because of whatever garbage, it's disappointing. So, I'd rather. Um, the as advertised rather than them swap it out on me mid mm. run. Um, I, yeah, I can handle delay. I handle delays. It's fine. It doesn't doesn't bother me. I'm patient. Could you imagine a movie and halfway through the movie it's just like okay Spielberg movie now the rest is directed by Tommy Wiseau and you're like what the heck and all of a sudden you're just like I didn't pay for this I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, as, when I was younger, I think i would have taken the film because i was loving ultimates i was loving whatever and i was just like yeah. well now i'm not getting this issue and it's taking a year to get this is it worth the wait that took forever that took for i remember that feeling like it took forever like the yeah. ultimates was gone and that was also around the time when you had kevin smith not finishing projects you oh, know, yeah. or it Frank was Miller it was finishing. bad like marvel had a yeah. ton of books that were just like you you would never know when they were coming but i think yeah once you get farther away from it you can kind of look back and having it on my shelf and being able to have a consistent vision is nice but like as a, a as an ongoing buyer it's frustrating as hell but as someone who yeah. can go back to it later it's nice to be like well at least Cassidy got to do all of Astonishing X-Men. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, and, and it's pretty consistent, and it's all his work. And he, you feel like he got his good work out of it. And the same thing with Hitch and Ultimates. Whereas if someone else had done Ultimates instead of Hitch, no one was Hitch. No, no one could have done no. that. Wouldn't have worked. Even though you can see in, in Ultimates 2, some of it seems rushed, or some of it seems like his heart isn't in it. Like, and he's talked about that since. Like, him, oh, yeah. he was just kind of in a bad place for a while, and he just couldn't pick up a pencil. Um, but it still wouldn't be the same. You're absolutely right. Um, and comics, I mean, it's well, a miracle any comic gets made. Like, it is oh, so yeah. much work, right? Oh, yeah. So much effort and so many people, and they're doing it, like, in a month, mm-hmm. drawing these 20 pages or 22 pages. Like, some of these artists are just unbelievable. Like, one of their pages, the amount of effort that's in it, and you just kind of maybe – some of these readers are just glancing at it and then turning the page, and they drew that for a day or two of their life. And um, just incredible that they exist at all. 
so when things don't go right, I guess we're reminded of maybe you know that, that things can go wrong and that mm-hmm. it is a difficult thing to to make these successful. One thing yeah, I noticed, Star Trek will lose its momentum almost entirely sometimes with a big delay, which kind of sucks, right? But then yeah. you know, look at the. Justice League debacle, right? Would have been better off to let uh, Snyder figure it out. Or you threw Whedon in there, and it was, it was a big gong show. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed wrong. when I went when I started reading some comics with Zach on Comicsology and using the guided view, not for I, I found it was helpful for him to be able to follow along sometimes, being able to kind of blow up panels, which is something very unique to you know Comicsology's technology. Uh, it yeah. definitely makes you start to appreciate panel work in a very different way. Because as you said, Nate, like sometimes you'll look at a page and your eyes will just kind of scan it, and then you're done. Whereas if you go panel by panel, it, it slows the issue down for you, and you start to notice things that you never would have noticed before, just because it was too small. Um, you know, it was too small on the page, but suddenly it's taking up like the full panel of your whatever device you're on. Even if you're only on a phone, it's still bigger than probably it was on the printed page, and you're noticing details you never saw before. And that's kind of cool. And again, it slows down the pacing of the comic as well because uh, you know when you're used to just seeing it as a page, your your eyes are are darting back and forth. You're kind of assimilating all the information really quickly. But when you actually slow it down and you just go by panel by panel, it's a much more interesting read. I found for people who aren't already comic literate, for lack of a better term, like uh, Tibor is a good example of someone who's never really loved comics. He likes comic book characters and likes comic book media, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of appreciation for comics. When he he got like a year's uh, subscription to Marvel Unlimited, but I don't know how he got it or why he got it. But he was he was reading some comics, and sl- again he was doing kind of panel by panel, and he was really enjoying it because it slowed the pace down. It was easy to understand where to read, uh, you know where to where your eyes were supposed to go because it was kind of guiding you. That's the whole idea. Um, and he found he really enjoyed it in a way that he couldn't when he was reading the actual comic book page. But for people who've been raised on comics, we know where the eyes are supposed to go usually, unless you have a really messed up page by Rob Liefeld. Um, but generally speaking, we know where eyes are going to go, and we can kind of guide ourselves easily, and so we don't really need any hand-holding. But for someone who's either younger or just never really you know, learned the comic book vernacular in terms of how to read it, uh, the guided view is really helpful. And again, it, it makes every yeah. panel matter more than it ever did when it, you're, you were just reading a page. Yeah, I think um, my my his my experience with the guided view was at first it was very positive because I was like, oh wow, this will isolate everything for me and and kind of force me to seek something one by one, and I will be I'll be more likely to be surprised. Hmm. Um, and so I really enjoyed it for that reason. And now I kind of can't stand them. <laughs> So that was like a love affair of like a year or two. And now I'm like, no, I think this is wrong for me anyway. And I think you've articulated in a nice way there. And I don't mean this to sound pejorative or anything, but I do feel like it's like training wheels and it can be very effective for new readers. But I, some of the more recent study that I'm doing in comics and, you know, go back to Scott McCloud's book on, on, on understanding comics and trying to teach comics to um, people on how to read them. There's a lot there about, there's almost a discipline there and there's also a discipline in prose reading as well like mm-hmm. you need to be able it's good to scan a page this is good practice to scan a page of words and then kind of like take in little pieces of the paragraphs if you like first that's kind of an approach you want to do or um, kind of be measured in the way that you're reading your lines and like there's there's different techniques and approaches but it all takes discipline and comics I think because they're so visual, can often feel like this smorgasbord where you're like exposed to so much all at once and your eyes do go everywhere. And that's, I'm not saying that's wrong either, but 
that I'm, I'm trying now to more discipline myself so that I open up a page and I go, well, this has been composed as a page full of panels, and that is also art. Mm-hmm. It isn't just the panel, the panel, like the sizes this artist have chosen, the, the composition, True. Um, why they've made smaller panels are usually because those are things that are supposed to go faster and the things that are larger images where more detail exists, like a splash page is, in my mind anyway, as I understand it, is meant to make you kind of take it in. It's mm-hmm. meant to make you kind of go, whoa, step back. So I'm trying now as a reader to appreciate the turning of a page and taking in a page without immediately reading. I also used to be a reader who went right to the words, right to the word bubbles or the narration boxes first. Mm-hmm. Because in my head, no one had ever, no one ever taught me how to read comics. That's my mom said, I bought this review and put it in front of me. Or she didn't want to mind me in the grocery store and there was a spinner rack. And so she's like, go over there and stay there until I get you. Like, that'll babysit you. But no one ever sat me down, even though my dad read comics. So explaining to me now, like, as I explain to others, like, the words aren't actually more important than the pictures. Mm-hmm. They're of equal importance. And so don't rush past the, the images to get to the words. Don't read the words first and then go back and look at the images because the images are secondary. The words aren't more important. So I'm trying to discipline myself that maybe I haven't been reading comments right, quote unquote, or as effectively as I could my whole life. And I really sit now with the page and I take it in and I feel like I'm getting more out of it. And then I discipline, I had to discipline myself to go, I'm going to go to the first panel now, but I'm not just going to get those words really quickly and then maybe see the image. I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. take it in almost as almost back and forth. Sometimes I go back and forth. I'll read a sentence in the narrative box and then I'll look down and then I'll go back, which you would never do in any other medium. There's no like, no. unless you have a choose your own adventure book, you don't, look at a paragraph and then go down and then go back again. You don't watch a movie and then rewind it. And then it's this beautiful magic of comics mm-hmm. full of abstraction, full of the power of a gutter that allows your mind to connect to almost unrelated images together, full of words, full of colors. So I'm trying to do that now. And I can't, I can't do any of those things with a guided view. The guided view is, is almost like a movie in that, it's like now it's ready to go, except it's pausing. Imagine a movie where you play it every few seconds and then someone pauses it and says, when you're ready to watch more, <laughs> press the play button. Okay, but it only goes forward. Yeah. Yes, you can tap backward, but people don't really, I've never seen anyone read Guided View backwards. But my eyes do go back and forth and they kind of take mm-hmm. these intersecting symbols and meanings in a way that is, this, this, is almost almost chaotic, not really mess and a beautiful mess of the the merging of forms in comics so i i think by getting older and trying harder to discipline my reading i think that absolutely guided view has its place and it can be for some readers the preferred way to go and mm-hmm. it might be more powerful for them so i'm glad that it exists but i'm kind of off digital comics now i need i want the paper and i want to see the page yeah and i want to be able to take it in and there's nothing nothing seems to beat that for me i just love it I do find the guided view works for um, surprise. So when you want something, mm-hmm. yeah. like, because I mean, like I remember uh, Hush is a good example where you finally find out who is behind, you know, everything that was in the Hush storyline in Batman. Uh, in the original, by the way, it's a disappointment. <laughs> Whatever. Wow. In the original printed version, it was you would there was a page flip and then you got. Yeah. But in the trade paperback version, there was no page flip. So it's on the second page of two facing pages. So if your eyes turned to the right, you saw it and it would kind of ruin that moment. 
Um, whereas in Guided View, there's nothing to ruin that moment for you because it's a page turn. So even if you were just looking at the full page and weren't even actually doing Guided View, just by isolating the one page as opposed to two pages facing each other, you would still be surprised, which I like that that's retained. Um, I know that's I've one of those things like gets Sorry. ruined in trades, right? When they when they change the page order, in a they trade, don't mean like, to, right? They, but like, the, there's no way no, for them no, to no. do that, right? Unless unless it's a splash page, they don't really care um, in trade format. And then yeah. one comic I always think about when I think about guided view because I had a lot of conversations with the artist about this, and I know I've talked about this before, is called Edge World by Chuck Austin and Pat Olive, and that one. The artist knew everything was going to be in guided view because it was a comicsology original. So he knew that more than anything, like this was not going to be print version first. This was going to be digital first. So he reframed how he illustrated each panel to know that this might be, like every panel was a page flip. So the way that he interpreted it or the way he approached it. So that is a book where I can only read a guided view because I really know that that's how he meant it to be to be viewed. So I understand what you're saying. It's an interesting idea that, you know, some of these panels were small for a reason. And so you're kind of following the, the artist's guy instincts by reading it on the printed page. Whereas when you have it in isolated view, you're kind of ignoring the artist's indications and how you're supposed to read this whereas at least in in these comicsology originals i don't know if they're all done like this but at least for this one because i know i spoke to the artist he tailored every panel to be its own page flip in and of itself which made it a much better digital view because uh there was like everything made sense like every every step he took made sense yeah yeah it's interesting for those um uh infinite comics right yes um they're they're made to be looked in that view and they flow a certain way so when you when you look at them they will they won't, they won't translate just as well in print or if you if you do a cbr of them they don't quite uh flow as well no that's true i mean watching um scott summers talk to gene gray on the moon and then her falling away to dust like that was a brilliant uh infinity comic or infinite comic sorry nate yeah it is Time is such an interesting thing in comics and like how you're supposed to read them and how fast you are. And, and it is also true that sometimes just a lot of small panels will do that for you too, like really force you to slow down. And I love when artists, I don't know if they're making the choice alone, I, I can't say, but like when they're, when they're you, you could put one big image and all these words, or you can slice that conversation up into a bunch of smaller, maybe even nine panels, and then just kind of have the conversation slow down that way. And mm. Every time they switch panel, you're kind of meant to go, okay, what's different here? And sometimes the panels are almost identical, but like maybe one thing has changed or a hand is moving a little bit. And like it kind of forces you. To, it's just a marvelous thing what, what time is in comics mm-hmm. and how it just kind of impresses itself on the reader. And however they do it, um, it is an incredible feat. And uh, I hope one day to learn how to, like myself, to figure out the art. <laughs> so I, I have a closing question for you both. Given what we've talked that, about, that game of yours went pretty quick there, Adam. You had one question. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I moved on. I, I I read the room, what was working, what wasn't, and I moved on. Lying by the seat of his pants. That's how we. That's how we do this. When yeah, when Nate's in charge of the show, he he will make up a a very detailed list of what we're talking about. Uh, is that going to happen? I'm going to be in charge of a show. It could happen. You want to take over one? Uh, you want me to give you uh, comic I, shenanigans? I, no, what? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I will retire after issue after episode a thousand. It's just yours now. Um, I was just thinking if you wanted to like 
take ideas on on topics for for a session that I wasn't thinking taking over. No. Well, at some point we're going to get back to our our, our X Men. Um, analysis that we've been doing or had been doing we did a bunch of them and then I think we kept putting it off because it was New Mutants and no one really cared enough um. I, I care but, it, but, if you, but if people don't we can absolutely skip a book we don't no no, no. We, we can't skip it just it was easier to put off is more what I meant alright we're gonna do it it's gonna be mag- it's gonna be our best episode our best analysis our best discussion it's gonna be amazing none of that's true but I am excited about um uh, what is it? Uh, all I have is my head is Guardian Devil now, which is absolutely not what it's Fallen Angels. I'm excited okay. about Fallen Angels. We got have that out. For, is it like a two and a half, two two year old comic now that we? <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. Uh, okay, so here's my question for you. Uh, it, there's two questions. First one is there which Spider-Man specific artist or an artist that you generally would think of as a Spider-Man artist would you be most interested to see draw an X-Men book? Because huh. I don't, I don't want Bagley. To, I don't necessarily. I'm not interested in Bagley drawing X Men. Well, he's already, he's awesome. already done it, and it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. Has he someone who's never drawn a single issue of X Men? Uh, no. Like, let's say, like you know, a new book was going to get announced tomorrow. Which would you be most interested to to see, given the current era? How much, like, and you have to have drawn how many issues to be considered a Spider Man artist? Uh, that's a good question. I guess someone who you you think would be more thought of, a, of as a Spider-Man artist as many other types of things. I mean, I almost said, um, uh, oh gosh, now I I can't say I almost said somebody's name because I can't remember. I can't, his name is dropped away. From a, me. As you're I trying to said, as you're trying to think of it, I will actually ask you one special question. Do you think J.R.J.R. is more of an X-Men artist or a Spider-Man artist in your mind? Because he's done both, and a lot of both. In my mind, because of his run on Spider-Man, and then again with JMS uh, on Amazing Spider-Man, he's he's more Spider-Man artist. Okay. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I associate him more as a Spider-Man artist than I would X-Men artist, for sure. Okay, what about Avengers versus X-Men? Like, Avengers or X-Men, I should say. Because he's done both. He's done Avengers more recently... But probably did more as X Men. I think I like his X Men set better too, so I'd say X Men. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. I, I can't even think of any Avengers stuff that would be relevant. The artist I was thinking of before, uh, I was going to say, oh, this could be a good X Men artist, but Jimenez has already done. Yes, he has. New X Men. So there's very few that I can think of that like have made an impression to me on, on Spider Man that I'm like, oh man, that'd be great because like a lot of them have already switched over. Okay. I'm about to invert I mean, the question. It's going to be X Men artists I mean, doing Spider Man. So, I mean, if, if we can go posthumous here, uh, Tom Lyle, but uh, you know, it's not okay. going to be drawing anything. So. Would Todd McFarlane on X Men be too weird? No, I mean, I would love to see him draw anything. I'd like to see his his take on anything, but I don't think he is. He, I mean, he's repeatedly said he has no interest in drawing for the big two rights. Oh no! I mean, realistically speaking, he would never do it. But in terms of he's taken that. He's taking that feud to the grave, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. His dying words, F you Marvel. Yeah. 
what a petty thing to say, but perfect. Other people are like, oh, I, you know, I should have spent more time with my kids. So that kind of cast in the cradle thing come up, but he comes up, he's like, I'm so glad that Mar. I didn't even invite Marvel to my my funeral. I don't want anyone here. Whoever worked for that company, like he's just gonna be so spiteful. I love it. Yeah, now what? He draws Spawn and uh, makes really bad DC figures. Well, some oh. people like those. Come on. I, I'm amazed Spawn is still going. I did not know. I mean, maybe I'm just showing my ignorance here. I just thought it had lost relevance in the '90s, but clearly, like what? Thirty years now? Yeah, it's 300 issues in or something. Like it's it's yeah. still going. Maybe not 300. I can't remember now. But Eden Savage Dragon are still around. Yeah. But yeah, like the, the big Spider-Man artists, the ones that are my favorites, JMS, uh, sorry, um, JRJR has already done it. Um, already said Jimenez. Uh, Bagley, I don't really think would be good. My big, my big favorite artists on Spider-Man are just like, I don't know. Coit Bell's done a little bit of both. He hasn't really done a lot of either Spider-Man, really, or, or X-Men. He's done, like, Spider-Verse. Like, you know, he did memorable stuff, but you're right, not a lot of stuff. Oh! McNiven did an arc or two, right? So what? Uh, I'm brand new day. So when I bring McNiven over to Smackdown, okay. What about you, Paul? Uh, has Caselli done any X Men stuff? Huh. Well, I don't. Tough. I don't think many. I don't think much, yeah. if anything. Yeah. I remember him for Spider Man stuff and Avengers Initiative or whatever, right? Yeah. Which were two big things that I remember him for. So yeah. He'd be the only artist I can think of because you know the guys, the Coopers, Bookshallow, uh, Ramos, all those guys have done both already. So, I feel like Caselli is probably maybe he did some like Academy X or something like that, or like some new X Men maybe with the new the young young squad. I think I remember Paul maybe seeing some of his work there, perhaps. But yeah, yeah not not very much. Nothing in the big book that I can remember. So, what about the other way around? Which X Men artist would you love to see tackle Spider Man? Present or, or, you know, someone way in the past. It doesn't have to be someone more recent. Has Andy Cooper drawn a lot of Spider-Man? I don't... I can't I can't picture him drawing anything, Spider-Man. Uh, I... Besides... Well, no, I don't think he has, actually. That would be interesting to see him do more of that. Yeah, I think 90s Cooper, Adam, sorry, Andy would have been better. Like, Kazar era, era, I think would have been really cool on Spider-Man. Uh, some of his more modern stuff, I don't know if it has the right physicality, but I could be wrong. Take a swing, yeah, maybe. That wasn't meant to be a pun. I just wanted like, to see him try it. Kind of cool. <laughs> you meant it as a pun. You were, you were planning no, it. No. You were so excited um, about it. Joe Matt is interesting, right? Because he's, he's poked around a bit there with the Spidey uh, Wolverine crossover books and uh, did a issue randomly in the middle of his uncanny run. Mm-hmm. Oh, him and Meryl. That was... Yeah. The, oh, he was yeah. like amazing in that. Yeah, yeah. Very very exaggerated. I like that about... Because of the Marvel vs. Capcom games, right? That yeah. very mm-hmm. weirdly posed, almost elongated, and possibly, you know, almost McFarlane-esque, but, but then drawn out in these early kind of uh, wiry ways by Madrera. Very interesting. Yeah, very unique. So that was kind of fun. I don't know that I... I've seen him draw a few Spider-Man issues so far, so I guess he's not... One that I would need, and I'm not a big fan of quietly, so I don't need to see it. No, nope. Lionel, you wouldn't work either in Spider-Man. It looks weird. No, I think he's done it before. Yeah, I would. I don't think Um, it was great. Interesting. Those are good, interesting ideas. That's Pepe Larraz is amazing. I would watch Pepe. I would draw. I would mm, buy anything. Pepe, Pepe Larraz draws something. I'm there. Yeah, Pepe's good too. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Those guys are, yeah, him and Espen. Uh, Salva Espen would be pretty good as well. Uh, yeah. When we talk about Spider-Man artists going to X-Men, the, the less said about, like, Humberto Ramos doing the X-Men, the better. Like, that was not a great period for anyone. You bought it, though, didn't you, Paul? Extraordinary X-Men, oh, yeah. You picked the wrong one, sir. Totally did. <laughs> Oh, actually, let me ask you a question about that. Of that run, not that it was necessarily bad, but it wasn't maybe the most memorable or enjoyable. Would you say that the writing or the art let you down the most? Because it was Lemire, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of have a soft spot for Ramos um, from the big time era with Slot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the art didn't record for me to be honest I had no issue with it I guess the, the stories weren't there at all for me so I'll, I'll say the storytelling more so than the air let me down would you say Paul that like Ramos as an artist do you like did your enjoyment of him or tolerance of him uh, progress over the years or did you like hit the ground running enjoying his art or did you eventually come to enjoy it and maybe didn't like it when it first started when you first saw it no, it, it attracted me at first. I think he has Ramita syndrome, where if he if he if he takes his time and does some good stuff, it looks great. And when he rushes things, his faces look ridiculous. Uh, people's proportions are all over the place. Um, actually, I recently started kind of reading uh, Academy Acts by Scotty Young, and, and he's on the art, mm-hmm. and it looks great. I, I think it's, it's a book he meant to take his time on, and it's it's. I've been very happy with what I've seen in that book so far. It's been a great little read, actually. Hmm. I remember when I first really came to know Ramos's artwork, and I hated it. Um, it was in I think two thousand two or three. It was um, Revenge of the Green Goblin, I think, or Return of the Green Goblin. I can't remember the name of the story, and I think it was by Paul, Paul Jenkins. Yeah, I hated it. Um, I thought his art was actually that's my favorite art of his. I've never liked anything else. Interesting <laughs> that you're using that as the. Well, here's the thing. I appreciate it more now. I can go back and enjoy it, but I think at the time, I think I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for something to be that. Exaggerated. I, I didn't like that they changed the Green Goblin's costume and it happened to coincide with that storyline. So that's not really any fault of that story. It's just that they were changing the way the Green Goblin looked and that happened to be the first time we saw it and I really didn't like it. Um, but I think if they had done it before that story, maybe my, uh, uh, my feelings on the story would have been different. Uh, but I think going back, I can appreciate it more and I can enjoy the artwork more. And they are cartoony nature, but I think in and of its time, when it was published, was so different that no one was doing what Ramos was doing at that time. And I think that's why I really rebelled against it. Um, but over time, I've come to appreciate and enjoy that storyline. I think Jenkins did, wrote the hell out of it, but I think at the time I couldn't see it because I could only see the art, and it was so different, and it was, wasn't something I enjoyed. So I really I rebelled like against costume. it. Do you like the costume redesigns um, any better now? Because I, I, I dig it. No, not really. <laughs> Yeah. I, I like the classic costume and that just wasn't uh, something I really enjoyed as, as a redesign but I anyways my, I'm less my uh, my hatred of that has definitely gone down over the years and I've just come to appreciate it and enjoy it but at the time I really didn't like it and it for years kind of colored how I viewed Ramos and how whenever he'd be positioned to you know take over a book I'd be like ugh this guy again like I don't want to see this I don't feel that way anymore but for a long time like that I I just that's what stuck out to me it's funny because when I go back and read his really early stuff on Impulse 
completely different, like very different style, uh, not nearly as exaggerated. I feel like in a lot of ways when he did that Spider-Man, it was like his peak exaggeration. Uh, even compared to now, I think he's toned it down. I think there was just something about that period. It was exploding on the page. He was really trying a lot of you know crazy things, and I was not having any of it at the time. So, gotcha. So, uh, Paul and I, we have a gift idea for you then. A full epic collection of Crimson. Oh, God. Doesn't he... <laughs> this is... so, all the time. Would you ra- what, what, what do you think would be a better, better collection? Battle Chasers or Crimson? I mean, I'd be more interested in Battle Chasers because I prefer Majora's Art. So. Okay. They're both, you know, I... in- interesting in their own way. I've never read Crimson. Never read any. Never is an issue. It never spoke to me on the stands at the time. Mm. Um, I was buying, sadly, shamefully, um, Danger Girl and uh, Battle Chasers because I, I like the artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both way too cheesecakey, one more than the other, and so I don't think Danger Girl would be of any interest to read. But I would read Battle Chasers again and see how that holds up. That'd be kind of interesting. Which of the two do you think is more cheesecakey? Danger, uh, Danger Girl. Yeah. Danger Girl, huh? But it, sure. I would say, as much as it's more cheesecakey, it's in, in a lot of ways less exaggerated anatomy, though. Sure, Red Monica is kind of almost like a joke. Like she's almost—I I, imagine that she's satirical. Like I don't know why else. <laughs> you know, like this is like over exaggerated proportions. But other than Red Monica, and they make, and they make they make jeers at it. Like they they point out that like her her physique is kind of ridiculous throughout the book. So it does seem like it's supposed to be a point of comedy. But the rest, everyone else, they're just kind of this cool Madrera art yeah. style, right? Whereas pretty much almost everything exists in Danger Girl so that that uh, Campbell can draw the same way he's kind of been drawing for his entire career. Yeah. Him and Liefeld don't exactly scream growth. Yeah, I wish he would have evolved to have been more of a storyteller than he is, but he's still just kind of a pinup guy, no matter what he does. So I mean, does covers and, yeah, Adam yeah. Hughes is kind of the same. Like, I really like Adam Hughes art, but, you know, he he yeah. he knows what sells for him. Right. Like if if you know that you can predictably sell all these covers and they're not going to tax you too much, um, you know, why? Why bother trying to change? Yeah, I guess if you have a brand and you're happy doing it and puts food on the table, then more power to you. But And ultimately, yeah, like if these if these guys didn't like drawing what they draw, then they wouldn't do it. Like, you know, to a certain degree, like obviously they you know, it, it's what pays the bills, but they also must have some level of enjoyment. If you hated every minute of drawing, I don't think you'd draw anymore. There's too much work involved. But I prefer all those artists, though, to Greg Horn. I'm glad Greg, the Greg Horn moment is over. I'm glad that we don't have to look at his... You know, hit-ups with almost well, no personality so in them. I'm actually really glad you brought that up. So this is my actual last question. Uh, Gre- <laughs> Greg Land or Greg Horn? I think Greg Land is a better storyteller. I would say Greg Land. I've seen him do things that have actually been, like, impressive. And one of them is Phoenix mm-hmm. Song. Okay. There's some really good choices in there um, that I've... And also, surprisingly, what is it, Ultimate... The Supreme Squad Supreme in the uh, Ultimate in, Power in the universe. Ultimate Power? Yeah. There were some surprising lot of really terrible muscle shots in there as well. <laughs> like weird faces that don't look like they actually sync up with the person's neck. Like I, I there's that too, where he's like his tracing paper, I guess, got moved and he went, Oh well, screw it and kept going. But some some actual pretty good choices there as well with panel work. So um, I've I've seen almost none of that from Greg Horn. No. It's interesting, like, Greg Horn was, like, everywhere. Like, every cover was he by was Greg Horn. everywhere. And now he's gone. They, they launched a, a, a gaming, a game, a card game mm-hmm. 
right? Based on almost exclusively his art, it seemed like there was just so much of that. What was that called again, Paul? Uh, was that Recharge? Recharge. Oh, yes. There it is. That's right. Yeah, of the two Gregs, like, one of them won and one of them was gone. Like, just mostly cover artists drawing cards or taking images that already were on covers, and then that was the card game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, terrible. Well, thank you. Have you, you f- heard of an artist uh, named uh, Jesus uh, Saiz? He recently did Mark Wade's uh, Doctor Strange run. Okay. What about him? I, I know Saiz, like S A S A I D. S A I Z. Oh, no, I don't know that artist. Yeah, it, it's uh, some beautiful stuff in that Doctor Strange run. It wasn't the greatest, uh, like, story was fine by Mark Wade. Uh, overall, I've read the first three trades, but um, that art by Saiz here was was pretty impressive very uh, um, I guess painted style I guess almost um, but there's some gorgeous stuff in that book I was quite impressed is that is that in the, in the death of Doctor Strange no it's book before that? that it's shortly after um, it's after Donny Cates' run on the book um, this is this is pre-death Doctor Strange yeah he's he's a tremendously talented artist has been around for like a long time but uh, yeah beautiful stuff In fact, uh, I'm trying to think. Like he, he was really big. He did the OMAC project uh, miniseries that led up to Infinite Crisis back in the mid 2000s. Uh, I recently read that with Zach. So that's kind of what's top of mind. That's right. I'm just re- randomly reading the Zach Infinite OMAC Crisis. Oh yeah. Well, right. here's the thing. We had we had, I read him a Prelude to Infinite Crisis, which is the best uh, Blue Beetle story you'll ever read. Even though it ends with him getting his head blown off at the end. Um, and then it leads into Infinite Crisis, so, you know, we've been reading that together. <laughs> Weird stuff. After that, just stop. Just stop. I mean, I don't, you get have, back a, to your, I don't have a lot of the trades past there, so I, it won't be hard to stop. You get back to your, chronolo- your chronological exploration of the history of Sugar Man after that, right? <laughs> oh, that's next. You know, he needs to understand. That's- he needs to understand. He needs to know his history, and that's the important one. When Sugar Man finally appears in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all his friends are like, who? He'll sit there smugly, arms crossed. I know that man who's basically a big face and then some... <laughs> Am I still alive at this point? Like, how deep into the MCU is this? I don't know that it's that far off. We're getting Shugo Gorath. But not by name, but by form. So that's cool. Yeah, but that, that, this still seems more obvious to me than, than Sugar Man. Well, in 1990, what was it, six or whatever, when that first game came out, Marvel Superheroes, and he appeared, and I had no idea who this was, and there was really no internet to speak up to find out, and I was like asking people for years, who's the squid guy? Like, certainly didn't seem like that was ever possible at the time. I couldn't even tell you who he was. So, things happen. Who knows, right? Yeah, you never know, man. That's a a great place to end the show. (laughs) Who knows what can happen? You never know. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining me for another random episode that I've told you nothing about what we're going to talk about. You guys are good sports, as always. You can always, for uh, listeners, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, gentlemen, and the next time we have you on, I'll let Nate pick the uh, the format for the show. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it out loud, so at least, you know, you can go back. There's actual evidence that I've said you can choose the next episode. And then he goes and edits this afterwards and removes it. I'm like, ah, I gotcha. I mean, you're too smart for me. I was going to do that anyway. I, 
have no problem with this being, you know, this horse being under your reins for as long as it as long as it shall be. Um, but just don't be surprised if we have no idea what we're talking about and we don't have anything good to say. <laughs> you guys came up with some good stuff. I think you're underselling yourself. Well, we still favorite work trivia. It'll be fine. Oh my, my favorite God. part was yeah, exactly when uh, Paul ripped you on the trivia. That was my favorite. That was that was pretty good. That was fair. Yeah, I I, I had some ideas. I'm like, yeah, this isn't gonna work. Let's just let's just cut it off. <laughs> One of these days. So that means I won, right? What I win? Well, we'll talk about yeah. that off podcast. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>